Welcome to episode three of Stiff Shots, the only podcast on the internet equal to or exceeding WrestleMania. And I am Ryan Rainbow here with, as always, with Rick Jimenez. And today we're going to be talking about a, a number of different things, but mainly focusing on the super showdown that took place in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia over the weekend, as well as New Japan's Dominion pay-per-view that also took place over the weekend, kind of setting up the events for the future New Japan shows, and also one of uh, Rick's first New Japan full-on experiences. So it'll be an interesting take to be able to find out what somebody who doesn't have a preconceived notion of it uh, thinks about the New Japan products. It's wildly popular, second biggest wrestling company in the world. But first, we're going to talk about these uh, AEW promo videos that have been going around. Uh, of course, our first show, uh, which still is having people listen to it on our Double or Nothing uh, take so feel free if you haven't checked that episode out to check it out in the archives on spotify apple music or whatever you're listening to this on right now you can <laughs> use that same thing to listen to that but uh, their next event is going to be later this month i believe june 29th called fighter fest which is a hilarious pun on the wildly successful festival fire fest led by jaw rule uh, with lots of documentaries on it on the world wide web and uh They've been running promo videos for that, similar to how they did for Double or Nothing, and I actually really enjoy that as an idea. That doesn't necessarily mean that I like all the videos, but I think that's a cool way to promote your upcoming event, especially when you don't have that weekly TV yet. Uh, have you gotten to check these out? Yeah, I actually just finished the second one. Now, I love these promos. I really enjoyed the Double or Nothing, or the Road to Double or Nothing ones, so I was excited when they decided to do the same thing, Road to Fighter Fest. I thought the first one was really short, but got me excited for it. And the second one I thought was really, really cool. The way they build their characters without TV, like you said, is really enjoyable for me. And it's really funny. You know, we've said this, you know, both episodes so far, hating something so much and then deciding later on that you do, in fact, like it. So I just, uh, the second episode had the Sean Spears promo or uh, Ty Dillinger, who... I hated as Ty Dillinger. I wanted to like him coming into AEW. You know, he kind of put me in the direction of maybe not despising him so much in that battle royal. But I thought the promo and vignette that he did was super cool. And I feel like I'm kind of pulling for him now. Uh, he looks like he put on a little bit more muscle. He has a little bit of a character, even though that character is, hey, man, I'm not in WWE anymore, so I'm ready to fucking go for it. But, hey, it's better than having no pectoral muscles and just flashing your fucking fingers all over the screen. So I'm actually looking forward to him doing something. And I think his vignette was pretty cool. And I thought the Darby Allen vignette was really, really interesting and, you know, kind of expanding on his character a little bit more, putting some personality behind it aside from the fact or aside from just the hey i'm little and i don't give a fuck i'll jump off anything and i'll go crazy and i'll cut myself and do all this insane shit he has a bit more of a story and he's building a character behind him so i'm pretty excited for it i'm looking forward to that next show yeah i definitely agree on the ty dallinger sean spears thing he looks like he's jacked now which is sick because i never thought of him that way in wwe so he's taking that time off to really uh or maybe he hasn't been off but you know time off away from WWE and the wellness policy. Hopefully he's just shooting up roids, man, because I want him as big as possible. I want him to look like those weird GMO cows that I see on the internet. Uh, so I really enjoyed that uh, video because of that. Uh, like you said, his gimmick kind of being like, hey, I used to be in WWE and now I'm not is uh, 
it, it could be worse. The Darby Allen thing, as far as building on his character, I definitely agree with that, where it def it gives him, I keep on saying the word definitely, but you know what? It's definitive, okay? He's uh, got a character now. I think that character is lame and kind of reminds me of like a, a blubbering character on uh, Boy Meets World or something, like the bully that you, you find out he's like actually a sensitive guy and he wants to write poetry <laughs> or whatever is kind of what I got from him. But, you know, there are going to be people that relate to that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he really leaned into the, I used to do skateboarding thing too. So, you know, maybe the Sun crowd will be drawn to him. So just because it's not for me doesn't mean it sucks. It's just not, <clears throat> I, I do like that. We have the backstory, but the biggest thing coming out of these videos for me, the idea of John Moxley being a super dangerous guy who doesn't care about anything because he took a cigarette out of Joey Janela's disgusting mouth. <laughs> so that guy is ready to die. Uh, but yeah, I think these videos are really cool, and uh, it makes me, you know, before with just a card of Fighter Fest, I was going to watch it anyway, of course, but now I kind of know some stakes behind it. They put the gravitas of Cody taking a match at all. Um, went in between those two big matches with uh, against Dustin and now with Dustin. So, yeah, man, these are these are really well done and uh, and just a really cool idea. So I definitely am into that. I think with the backstory behind Darby now, <clears throat> nah, let, let me restate that. I'm I'm flubbing over it like you just said the <laughs> I think with the backstory now a bit more with Darby, it's only going to add to his character and make his matches and his gimmick, like I said, more than just some crazy guy. And, you know, I've, I've seen Darby before, and whenever I see him live, he scares the fuck out of me. The things that he does, you know, this come from someone who's old, and I don't want to say jaded. I'm not jaded. I always enjoy wrestling, and I don't go into it, you know, looking for negatives and being someone who prides himself on being fucking jaded about wrestling. But I see the shit that he does, and I get like, holy fuck, don't do that, or man, did he really just fucking do that? And Jesus Christ, what the fuck is this guy doing? Which I know is, you know, that's his shtick. But I like that. I get like that when I watch him. You know, I get like really fucking scared for the human. But I think that's really cool to have that in the mix of the rest of the AEW guys, especially fighting Cody. Like what a weird uh -huh. contrast in styles there. I think that's going to be cool. And I feel like uh, the vignette, Especially when they were doing the doubles when he's sitting in the chair and then he's laying next to himself and he's walking behind himself. Not that that's groundbreaking stuff, but I thought it was really cool and it drew me in. And uh, from one point of view, the Moxley stuff could be kind of silly. But on the other point of view, especially after seeing his two matches in Japan, you know, I'm pretty psyched on seeing what he's what he's going to be doing across the board, no matter where he's at. Yeah, well, definitely, like we both agree, really well done, really cinematic, like you said, even with the Darby Allen thing, not that it's groundbreaking, but it is kind of uh, not done as much anymore. I, I don't know if you watched a lot of Lucha Underground, but they had these really cool cinematic promo videos for each of their characters similar to this, that, uh, not similar to this, but similar to the the desired result of this, of you kind of knowing the characters better before they go into the matches. So I'm excited about it. But speaking of scary, we are going to be talking briefly about the wwe super showdown that took place over in Jeddah, saudi arabia over the weekend uh i mean it definitely was a show they once again used the song when legends rise by godsmack for the theme song which was also used for the greatest royal rumble and i think that's uh interesting because i don't know if that's be like maybe saudi arabians are really into godsmack but i know uh every godsmack fan i've ever met does not like saudi arabians 
I thought the interesting thing about this song is that it wasn't fucking Shinedown. I was hoping they were just going to sing about voodoo. Yeah, voodoo would have been a cooler theme song for it. Well, when they said equal to or exceeding WrestleMania, they meant WrestleMania too. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was funny that they used the WrestleMania set, like the uh, the stage set. It was the same shit, which I, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's funny. WrestleMania 3, uh, 35.1. Yeah, I mean, and it seems like it ultimately just set up the exact same show for Stomping Ground, just not in Saudi Arabia. But uh, like I said, it actually overall wasn't, it definitely wasn't as bad as I anticipated it being. And it had some cool moments to it. Um, we had the opening match of uh, Rollins, uh, who normally comes out in what kind of looks like a, an X-Men uh type gear but uh this this one night he decided to just dress up like a full-on vr trooper so i was into that and then uh versus baron corbin and the thing about corbin that i didn't know is um i don't know if saudis actually fully understand his gimmick because i don't know if they have olive gardens in saudi arabia so i didn't know how that was gonna cross over into that audience but that match wasn't uh terrible although <laughs> the the finish to it was kind of kind of uh ridiculous that the referee gets aggressive and Corbin gets pinned as a result of it. It kind of makes uh, Rollins to me look like a little bit of a goober because of how poorly Corbin is always positioned. You know that he's kind of a glorified jobber to the stars. So the fact that Rollins didn't just stomp his head through the ring that uh, he had to beat him because of a ref distraction is a little silly, but uh, could have been worse, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I feel like first off, I think Corbin is a great heel. I love how everybody fucking despises him. I think, you know, people think they hate him and they do the whole like, oh, when he's on TV, I want to change the channel. It's like, no, you write that on the fucking internet. When he's on TV, you get pissed because he's such a fucking good heel. I love how over Rollins was. Uh, he's so over right now. And I think it's because he's the workhorse on TV right now. Um, but he hasn't really had anything interesting to do in quite a while. You know, um, the Lesnar feud was interesting. I thought the WrestleMania match was cool. I thought this match was fine. But I think he needs something more to sink his teeth into. I thought the AJ Styles program, that whole idea was really cool and a real interesting idea. It's almost a bummer that it didn't last longer and get more out of it. But I think it should have kind of been a one and done like it was. So I guess I'm contradicting myself. I think I just want him to have more to do aside from beefing with Corbin and then waiting to beat up Lesnar and then beefing with Corbin and then waiting to beat up Lesnar again. Um, I thought the whole beefing with the referee angle was actually pretty cool. It was a little odd in the beginning because they, you know, they never do stuff like that anymore. And the fact that um, they're going back and forth. I thought was was really cool and I thought it was interesting that after I wrote that 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 wound up working into the finish especially because you and I have been having conversations about the roles of referees lately uh the one thing I did pay attention to is man if somebody was yelling in my ear that loud at all let alone as many times Corbin did ugh, I would have kicked the fuck out of him regardless, <laughs> regardless of what fucking costume he's wearing but um yeah, I actually do like Corbin a lot, so I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I dislike him. I just mean that he, you know they position him as it's not like he's a guy that's that's dominant in any way. He's the the crony that goes out and loses to 
the the hero of that moment. I actually remember the exact moment that Corbin got over with me. I went to these three NXT house shows in a row a couple of years ago when Corbin was still in NXT, had long hair, was doing the lone wolf gimmick. And uh, each night he would come out and he would have his lone wolf uh, cut off T-shirt on. Right. And the first night people kept on chanting, take your shirt off. And he was like, nah, you got to you, you got to pay me to take my shirt off. You better give me some money or something. And he doesn't take his shirt off, um, which, you know, if you've seen what his stomach looks like, you know why he's not taking his shirt off. So then the next night, uh, everyone's again chanting, take your shirt off. And he acts like he's about to take it off and then doesn't and then does like, a, you know, whatever to the crowd. The third night, because this tour was three nights long, the third night uh, he's in a tag team main event and Finn starts getting the. Uh, the crowd to chant, take your shirt off, because they didn't do it. And I guess he was anticipating that they were going to do it. So Corbin's like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll take my shirt off. He takes his shirt off, and underneath is the exact same shirt. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this guy rules. Now, that is something that I do like. But I don't want to spend too much time on this show just because it's uh, probably been talked to death. And, and ultimately, nothing really happens of consequence. But uh, two things that I do want to point out um, before we address the uh, tragedy that is this main event is I thought that the Orton and Triple H match was like shockingly good because that is a match that is kind of an eye roll when you see it in 2019 on a card and I guess it shouldn't be because it's two guys who definitely know what they're doing uh, but man I, I really enjoyed that match and I didn't anticipate really liking it and I think it's funny that no matter what the show is Triple H is like yeah we're gonna have a half hour uh, <laughs> match <that's, laughs> I don't care if this is a glorified house show or not but I, I really enjoyed it what did you think about that when that match got announced, I was dreading it. Like, what the fuck do we need to watch this match for? They did a couple of those video packages. I was like, all right, I guess maybe it'll be fine or or whatever. I thought the package, the video package they had before the match was so good. I thought the match overall was was excellent. It was the whole the whole match I thought was a perfectly good WWE style Triple H Orton match. Um, you know, I, I thought the entrances were awesome. You know, Orton's sleeveless hoodie is hard as hell, fucking rocks the house. I thought Triple H's Scooby Doo villain motorcycle <laughs> entrance was always cool. Um, I thought it was, you know, this is like kind of a stupid thing to even pay attention to, but I thought the fact that Triple H has an NXT patch on his vest, I think that's cool as hell. I thought overall the match was – it was probably the best match of the show. Oh, um, hands down. Or none. Full stop. I thought Orton grabbing Triple H's beard and then nailing him with a clothesline was really creative. Uh, you know, Like I said, the finish was very logical. The match was a perfect match for these guys at all, let alone the age and the amount of times the match has happened. So – this match should have been something really stupid or just, like you said, a bit of an eye-rolling match. And instead, it was like, reminded me, you know, how good Orton really is. And then, not that we really needed reminding. And I know, I'm pretty sure the internet, you're not supposed to like Triple H. But, man, Triple H is the fucking man. Oh, he's so good. And whenever he does these main events, I mean, it's easy to point to, like, WrestleMania 30 when he put Brian over and just, you know perfectly couldn't have done it any better yep um and then this match putting orton over too i mean that that's cool uh not that orton necessarily needs it or whoever won or lost it wouldn't have really mattered but you know it shows a a level of humility that he's uh not really known for whether or not it's it's valid or not 
Well, one guy that definitely won me over on this show too, and uh, and it really kind of feeds into a, an overarching idea that I uh, have, or maybe not idea, but concept I wish they would uh, really lean into more than they do with just maybe specialty t-shirts is they have this 50-man battle royal, right? And there's no stakes or anything, but uh, this guy Mansoor wins, okay? And, uh, you know, it could be said that he wins because he is Saudi Arabian, but I think that that's awesome and this promo that he cuts at after he wins makes him look like an absolute star i mean not just oh man i i loved this everything about this was so great to me oh yeah and and i loved it i mean the thing is is that not only did he look like a star because the crowd reaction but he was ready to give that speech man he he sounded so powerful and and sure of himself and man it just makes me wish they would capitalize in each city that they go to you know these local heroes that they can make really sh- you know shine like that i mean he just looks so cool and it's a bummer that it probably won't lead anything for him more than this and if it does then that's awesome i would love to be wrong but after that after he because first when he won i was like you know okay he won whatever they're in saudi arabia and then he cut this promo and i was like man this guy is awesome and i already you know liked him enough because he does uh some nxt stuff so it wasn't like i disliked him before but after that i was like yo push this guy to the moon he really just impressed me after that match and i know that might be a silly thing to say that he impressed me after the match that the the words he said impressed me but i was like this guy is a hero right now you know what i mean well he was kind of a non-factor in the match until the finish so the fact that he won and it was a bit of oh i barely even noticed this guy was in the match but that promo at the end was was perfect like that made me feel like wow i love this guy and is it like is it pandering to have him win in that situation maybe but on the other hand is it pandering or is it just smart and i think it was really really smart um it was really interesting i i love an underdog winning a battle royal that's that's the way you make new stars you know they could have had several other guys win it would have been like oh that's cool that guy could use a push but at the same time make a brand new star and if you're going to make a brand new star he was perfect for the situation the crowd was going fucking nuts renee's oh go on my take is that i think pandering is smart and that uh that that they should do more of that to these local crowds they should be able to go to you know saint augustine florida and have uh bo dallas or bray wyatt come out and be like yo i'm from here and people go nuts and have them you know, go over in a match or something, they should be able to do. I mean, you know, when they go to Iowa, Rollins might get a shirt. I know they were just in San Jose. Bailey gets a shirt, but they don't, they barely address it other than, hey, at the merch stand, we got a t-shirt that acknowledges that this person's from here. If they really leaned into each city that they would go, they would have a, a star, a different star in every town that they go to on top of their super established, you know, top guys. And I just, uh, I think this proved it. Uh, because like you said, this guy who's kind of a non-factor in the match afterwards wins and it's, you know, People are going nuts. And uh, and I agree, as far as a, a battle royal, the whole thing about a battle royal is that it should be unpredictable. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that is kind of a bummer about the Royal Rumble uh, sometimes is that you kind of already know that it's down to, it's going to be one of like three people when it goes in. And when it's not one of those people, it's very exciting uh, because you do assume and because it should be that anybody can win it because it's not a traditional match. You're not necessarily out wrestling somebody to be able to outsmart them and get them over the top rope so 
no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Hey, you want to talk about unpredictable in the battle royal? How about Chad Gable's fucking haircut? <laughs> that is the worst thing I've ever seen in my miserable life. Okay, check this out. So I'm going to have a completely different opinion than I think everybody in the entire world about the main event. So when this got announced, man, I don't even want to say I rolled my eyes into the back of my head. You know, I fucking took my head and threw it into Goldberg's post. <laughs> Just... <laughs> What is the point of this match? Everything about this is the dumbest thing in the entire world. Hey, let's take Goldberg, who, you know, was barely even a full-time wrestler post-WCW, despite his two WWE runs. Let's, you know, have him have two WWE runs, end his career, put him in the Hall of Fame, all this shit. Let's take him out of retirement. Oh, I, I, I guess that's a good idea. Hey, let's take The Undertaker, who should have retired after he lost to Roman Reigns, what, two or three years ago? Let's keep having him have matches and put him in a main event, this giant equivalent WrestleMania show. So I was like, man, this is the dumbest thing in the entire world. I couldn't possibly ever care about this. <clears throat> so as it the show approached, and then especially with the last video package for this match, and it could have been the energy drink I was on. I was just excited. I was enjoying the show as it was. But I started to think, you know what? If this match isn't good, I don't care. This is kind of just something special. It's Goldberg and Undertaker. If you take the fact that they're both, you know, maybe a decade or more past their prime, you take that out of it, it's a dream match. You know, it's an attraction. It doesn't really have to be a good match, per se. And that's kind of a stupid way to go into watching a match, but that's the way I went into this once the match was about to start. And I figured, man, I'm actually... I'm really excited about this. I'm going to enjoy this no matter what. Just the fact that it's happening makes me enjoy it. So I thought the entrances were cool. I thought that they started the match fast and with a couple of big moves was cool. I thought it was funny that Goldberg was fucking juiced all over the place. I didn't know if it was legit or not at the time. You know, as it went on, it was like really slow and both of the guys are really old, but I didn't care. I was still enjoying it just for the spectacle. You know, the bad tombstone and the setup and the fucking double clothesline was terrible. But I was still loving it just for the fact that it was existing was cool to me. So that botched finish, I was just like, yo, what the fuck is going on? You know, Goldberg is just not making any sense. He can't lift up Undertaker. Undertaker can't really... He was limping down to the ring, which we all know, you know, he's shot, but he's limping before the match. So towards the finish, then it's starting to hit me, man, maybe this really wasn't the best idea. But I'm like I said, I'm going back and forth. I'm just trying to enjoy it. So the fucked up Goldberg tombstone <clears throat> reversal spot that they were trying to set up and then that unbelievable poor excuse for a choke slam. <laughs> Into that finish, and then Undertaker's face, straight up looking into the camera, not trying to stay in cam uh, in character at all, just letting everybody in the entire world know, man, I'm fucking pissed. Kind of a bummer. Uh, I fully understand why he's pissed. He's 175 years old. Goldberg is 150 years old. Goldberg's being dangerous with him, but at the same time, in this prime, Goldberg was dangerous. Um, so. It was interesting, the finish, obviously a bummer, but 
when it's all said and done, I actually enjoyed the match just because of it existing and the fact that those two guys went out there and, and had a match. Um, I think the fallout post-match that surfaced on the internet, that un- obviously Undertaker was pissed and him and Goldberg were yelling at each other. And then Goldberg made that apology tweet about how he knocked himself out and he let his fans down. Kind of makes me sad. You know, I, I think it could have gone either way with either one of them just deciding, oh, shit, my muscles don't work anymore in the middle of the match because they're both so old. Um, I, I guess I started talking about this match as if I loved it and I'm finishing it as if I hated it. But in all, <laughs> in all actuality, I enjoyed the match for what it was. The match could have been even worse than it was. And I was going to enjoy it just because it existed. What I really loved was the uh, the music mashup they did leading up to it, where it's like the Undertaker gong with the Goldberg march or whatever. I thought that was sick. That that made it worth it for me alone. What do you think about his last run, his run with Lesnar? I thought the Lesnar-Goldberg match at Mania 33 was sick. I loved it. I mean, I know it was just them basically trading finishers, but Goldberg matches out of, you know, a, a 170 out of the 173 of his undefeated streak were just him doing the finishers and mm-hmm. that was what made him sick so the fact and lesnar all of his matches and i think lesnar rules too so i'm not criticizing him are just germans and f5 so the fact that that match was just them basically doing video game specials on each other i thought was awesome uh and then the shock of the initial match between the two of them where goldberg just beats him in you know 11 seconds or whatever i thought that was sick too because you didn't expect it yeah so uh the short answer to your question is i thought it ruled yeah, I really liked his last run, and I think I bought into his character more than I did in his prime. And I really liked the whole when he was doing the, I came back because I wanted to be a hero, and I wanted to wrestle with my son. And when his, oh, remember when his son took that fucking bump over the guardrail by accident? <laughs> <laughs> and the Goldberg said he just bumped me more than me in the last year. Oh, I like that. But, you know, I, I liked it, and I, I kind of like emotional dad Goldberg so I, I don't know I like Goldberg and I like Undertaker and I wish this match would have been a little better but I still enjoyed it for what it is and I just want them both to be happy and friends okay so let's talk about the Kofi Kingston Dolph Ziggler match from Super Showdown real quick all right and this is actually going to be the stiff shot of the week stiff shot! so let me say that I do like Dolph Ziggler I'm a bit of a Dolph Ziggler fan. When we did the Roy Rumble tattoo game, I wound up with Dolph Ziggler, and I wasn't mad about it. So I have a Dolph Ziggler logo tattooed on my ankle that I got in Tom Wood's basement from Tom Wood. But I think, especially over the past six or seven years, Dolph Ziggler is probably the most overrated wrestler on the WWE roster. And this is, this is why I think that. I think he's usually pretty good in the ring. I think he has a lot of charisma, but everybody always bitches that he's he can do so much more. He's never given the proper shot. He needs a push, blah, 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 blah. He's, he's had almost every title, and along with those titles, he's had pushes, and he's had angles. The thing is, once he's put in a big position, I don't think he ever holds the crowd's attention. Uh, on top of that... I am so sick of his offense at this point, and even his selling. It's a lot of jumpy, floppy, flapping around, and at this point, I think almost all of it comes across 
to me at least, super, super goofy. I think the zigzag is one of the, the dumbest finishers in the entire world. You know, that's kind of uh, – that's what that fan did to Bret Hart at the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to – I'm going to run behind someone, grab them by their shoulders and or chin and kind of tackle them. You know, you could watch that shit in the NFL or maybe the XFL or the hockey channel. You know, people fall down all the time. And don't get me wrong. I love a clothesline. And that's going to, you know, knock someone down. Zigzag sucks. Um, I think Ziggler's been given lots of opportunities, lots of angles. And I just don't think he has it anywhere close to the amount that people I don't even think they believe it when they say it. I think they're just used to saying, oh, Dolph Ziggler is the best on the roster. He should be given this, that, and the other thing. He should be given this guy's spot. He's been given everyone's spot, and he's never run with it. Even this match, he was put in the position to do what you know his gimmick says, steal the show. All right, you're in there with what Cole called the most important title. You know, he Cole put the WWE world title over the universal title in this match on commentary. So for all intents and purposes this could have been the most important match of the show and this should have been the show especially with the angle and with all the great work kofi's been doing ziggler should have went in there and had the best match of his life and definitely should have been the best match on the card i don't think it was anywhere close it was another blah match you know i in all actuality i don't even think that ziggler's timing was good in this match like the finish kind of sucked because ziggler was overselling before he's even getting hit. So even if I wasn't already taken out of this match because I wanted this match to blow me away and it was kind of blah, the finish just took me right out of the match. The only thing that I even liked about this match is when Ziggler ran face first into the turnbuckles, Bret Hart style. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really, really cool. And it was like, okay, if he could do shit like that the entire match, you know, and show some some real intensity while giving offense and sell in a devastating way, in a more believable way, instead of taking Mr. Perfect to the goofiest degree. I love those new Mattel retro figures, and I hope they don't make a Dolph Ziggler. All right, well, we are just going to take a quick moment from our sponsors here, and we'll be right back to talk to you about New Japan's Dominion, a little bit best of the Super Juniors, but we'll be right back with some more stiff shots. Hey, Mike. Yo, what's up? Hey, uh, who's your favorite wrestler? I would probably have to say... It doesn't matter who your favorite wrestler is. You know why? Because Day 2 Update is the greatest gaming podcast to ever hit the airwaves. That's right. You got me, Hulking Yoda. And guess what? We're going to live a smackdown on anything that comes our way as far as video games are concerned. On the sound waves, on the airwaves, wherever. It doesn't matter. And guess what? SoundCloud.com, Day 2 Update. Come and check us out. Well, now we're going to be talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling, something we haven't covered on the show yet, uh, mainly because we're only three episodes in, but also because uh, Rick has not been a big New Japan fan in the sense that he just hasn't seen a lot of it, not that he necessarily doesn't like it. So he took the plunge. He watched uh, the Dominion show over the weekend, which is one of their bigger shows of the year. You know, we got uh, the G1, which we're going to talk about in depth here in a second, Dominion and uh, Wrestle Kingdom, I would say, are the three biggest shows of the year, other than maybe the New Japan Cup, but that's more of a tournament, which I guess G1 is too, so I just contradicted myself. But regardless, Dominion, big show, kind of the summer slam of New Japan, and uh, headlined by Chris Jericho, someone we're all very familiar with, and Okada. But before that show, actually earlier in the week, we had the Best of the Super Juniors final, which featured a debuting uh, John Moxley, the Death Rider, 
uh, taking on Juice Robinson, formerly CJ Parker in NXT WWE, uh, for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. And we also had the finals of the Best of the Super Juniors Tournament, which was Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay. Now, my first question to you, Rick, is after your stiff shot on episode one about the AEW Championship, how much do you love the IWGP US Championship? The ch- the actual title belt? Yes. Oh, I think it's great. Yeah. I actually, paying attention to, I guess, two of the New Japan shows this weekend, I didn't watch all of the Super Juniors because there was so much wrestling to consume over the past couple of days. But paying attention to all their title belts, man, they have some great-looking title belts. Uh, their U.S. Championship is probably my favorite title belt that there is, but also... Uh... On top of that, it just doesn't have the the intense logo uh, and things like that that you uh, explained before. And even their world title doesn't say New Japan on it. It says IWGP, International Wrestling Grand Prix, which sounds like a more professional organization versus, uh, hey, this is our, our local Fed or whatever. So I thought that uh, that would be something you'd enjoy. But what were your, what were your first uh, impressions of these New Japan shows that you saw? Let's start with uh, the Moxley versus Juice Robinson match, since it's two ex-WWE guys that you're probably vaguely familiar with uh, going at it in probably a more uh, strong style than you're used to seeing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, both of the shows, but this match specifically I thought was super, super cool. I hadn't seen Juice since he left NXT. I've heard, you know, Heard a lot about it, but I never, or about him post, but I never dove into it. Like you said, I usually stay away from New Japan just because of, of timing and only, you know, so much time to consume so much wrestling. Uh, but I think I'm, there's a good chance I'm going to get sucked in. These two shows I thought were a lot of fun and made me, from not really knowing much of anything, I feel like I got to handle on some of the characters and and the wrestlers and it makes me want to see oh what's this guy going to do next what's this guy going to do next and makes me look forward to oh i think i have to pay attention to the g1 this year instead of that eh, maybe i'll just catch the finals or i'll just read what people are talking about and enjoy it on paper <clears throat> but i like this match it was really really cool to see both of these guys like you said work a not wwe styled match um I didn't. I think the Death Rider pseudonym is really cool from from Mox. Oh yeah, I uh, and I didn't realize that that was like gonna be his uh, new nickname. I actually thought that that was just the name of his theme song when he was coming out at first, Death Rider, which I also really like his uh, entrance music, especially for a New Japan thing where like, um, you know, like a WWE theme, I need to be a little bit more hard hitting and announcing because of how often like run-ins happen or interruptions of promos and things like that. Uh, New Japan doesn't really have that where you need to be announced in that way. So the fact that it's literally going to be an entrance theme, I think it's cool how it's kind of slow prodding, a little spooky, a little, uh, little uncomfortable. You know, what's what's the Death Rider going to do? And what does that even mean? I don't know. Uh, is that that movie with Kurt Russell? I think so. But uh, I thought that it was cool. Um, he's still coming through the crowd. Um, so that's cool or not cool, depending on what you think about him continuing to do something he did in WWE that he apparently was so shackled by. But uh, I, I think it's cool. I, I like that he comes through the crowd. You know, it's not like everybody does that now, you know. Um, that was kind of his, like you said, it, not even kind of. That was his thing in WWE for the most part. I think that's a cool thing to hold on to. But 
that's from my point of view. I never had a problem with anything he did in WWE to begin with. You know, I'm not him, so uh, the things that bothered him didn't bother me. It's all I knew. You know, I don't know what the fuck he's capable of outside of WWE those past couple of years that he was in WWE. So him holding on to certain aspects and ditching certain aspects, it's pretty cool to me. It's just an evolution of his character. I love his gear, the uh, biker shorts in black, nice and simple. I think that that's really cool, especially on the other side of the ring of Juice, who's wearing the long, colorful type of clown pants. You know what I thought was interesting about Juice, not just in this show, but also in the Dominion show? When he gets in the ring and then he's announced, his demeanor is super 80s jobber. He's in the corner, kind of looking down. They say his name. He walks, you know, maybe two steps, raises his hand really quick, and then walks back. I thought that was kind of interesting that he's, you know, he doesn't really call attention to himself, which may be good or bad. I don't know. It, it was just interesting to me that he almost presents himself pre-match like he's a jobber. Well, I think that's unique to these two shows that you happen to see, especially the Dominion show, because uh, his loss at Best of the Super Juniors is playing into his character. Where So the last guy that beat him for that title was Cody Rhodes, so he's kind of like you know, sick of these ex-WWE guys coming in and uh, taking away his his thunder. Uh, I think he kind of was presenting that in the beginning of this match, too, being like, wow, I can't believe I got to, you know, this guy gets his first match against me. He doesn't even prove it himself. Because Juice is actually seen as a a local New Japan guy because he went through the entire dojo system instead of just being like, hey, I was a WWE guy. Give me a, a roster slot like uh, like a lot of people do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You you paid your dues he left nxt and climbed up through the young lion ranks first and then became a new japan star so he's got a little bit of a his character at least has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for that and i think that that was being projected through because his whole thing is that he's actually his his uh his pseudonym is uh the flamboyant mm-hmm. juice robinson so he actually does he normally comes out he's got a the big hat i mean you even saw he was trying to present himself as more serious the announce team really put it over that he cut off all his dreads he had dreadlocks yeah. up until that so i think you saw a different juice robinson demeanor than normal which isn't bad i mean it sounds like he got over what he was trying to get which is sick that you picked up on that um but uh not normally how he is how he might be for the next little while because of how this loss is going to affect him but I thought it was cool, uh, Moxley winning. Um, I thought it was a hard-fought match. You know, I thought they had a lot of cool spots on here. And you know what I really loved, actually? I, I can't believe I almost forgot to say this, is I always think the most underused, super effective, cool way to finish a match and still put somebody over, even in their loss, is you do the finisher, they kick out of it, and then you just immediately do the finisher again. It makes them look strong because they kicked out of it, but then, you know, makes you realize, hey, I, I got him on the ropes. I need to just put him away. And I think that's so cool. I mean, I know he kind of did like an elevated version of the DDT uh, Moxley to, to finish him, but he did the the double arm DDT, got a two count, immediately just picks him up and, and uh, gives it to him again to win. And I think that's such an underutilized way to end the match, and I love it. So I was really excited to see that. I, I agree, totally. I think that the entire match was excellent. Like you said, I didn't really need to know much about anyone's character prior to this match. And like you said, I guess I picked up on stuff that I didn't know if I was picking up on properly or not. And by the end of the match, oh, all right, well, I can't wait to see what each one of these guys does next. I love that they did exactly what you said with the finish. You know, the the dirty deeds, double arm, DDT. 
is a really cool finish. The fact that he did, you know, an elevated version of it afterwards, and that's what put Juice away. It was cool. I love this match. I thought it was really, really cool. Well, completely juxtaposed to that match. Yeah, and that's right. I know the word juxtaposed. Okay, I went to lots of colleges, graduated from one of them. We had the finals of the best of the Super Juniors, which was Shingo Takagi, the dragon, versus Will Ospreay, the bird. No, the aerial assassin. <laughs> um, and their style of match is completely different from the other one, which had to be cool for you, again, seeing uh, this being one of uh, the first New Japan things you're seeing, two completely different kinds of matches. Um, but I have a feeling that this was something that you're probably less into, whether or not you liked it, uh, or whether or not you thought it was good or not. But uh, what did you think about Takagi versus Will Ospreay in the finals of the Best of the Super Juniors? Now, but actually, before you answer that question, one thing that I really love about this matchup, though, also, is that Will Ospreay, high-flying uh, Ricochet clone, and then Shingo Takagi, Technically a super junior, because I guess uh, heavyweight is 220, but the dude is huge. I mean, he's got a huge chest, huge arms, so barely a, uh, a junior heavyweight or a, uh, a cruiserweight or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I, I thought that that was an interesting thing, this kind of brawling, uh, dominating force versus this guy that you know just won't stand still. But what did you think? So these are two names that I've seen constantly for years, and I've never seen a single match of either one of these guys. So I went into it like, oh, well, I hope I like this. You know, it's main venting the show. Everybody just fucking comes all over these guys on the Internet. So I have high expectations, but we'll see what happens. You know, I, I hope I like it. And I not only just love the entire match, but by the end or the, the finish, and especially the promo after the finish, I was like, oh, man, I can't believe that I haven't gone out of my way to see either of these guys have matches until now. Like, I, what the fuck have I been missing for the past, you know, several years? Um, both of these guys won me over so, so much. And same thing, you know, even though I've seen these guys' names and, you know, you see pictures here and there and all this stuff. I don't know anything about the stories, you know, the character behind these guys. And I feel like I got all the backstory that I needed to make the match feel important. And to know, you know, why the finish was the way it was and where they're both going from here on. And it was the same thing. Like, what this said, uh, to, um, Shingo was 73-0. and 0. Uh, Yeah, and in the tournament itself, he was 9-0. and 0. He was undefeated. He beat everybody in the tournament, including the, at the time, uh, Super Junior Champion, Dragon Lee. So, yeah, this was his first, first loss uh, in New Japan. They're hammering that in. His first loss. It didn't seem like, oh, I guess that's a big deal, you know, because they're telling me and I've never seen it, whatever. I felt like it was a big deal. I felt like I was already invested, even though I was not invested at all. And the same thing when Osprey won. I was like, man, this guy really worked for this, didn't he? Which is like, how the fuck can I think that? I didn't, I've never even seen this guy wrestle a match in my entire life. I was so sold by the time this match was over. And seeing the crowd react the way they did when Osprey said that he's moving to Japan, I could not wait to see Dominion after this match. Well, that's awesome. And you didn't have to wait long because uh, Dominion was only a couple nights later. Uh, huge, huge card. Of course, like I said earlier, headlined by uh, Okada and Jericho. Uh, the uh, Intercontinental Championship between Abushi and Tetsuo Naito. Uh, we had the heavyweight tag team championships between G.O.D. and Los Ingobernables. And then a couple of uh, tag matches. But the opening match is, again, John Moxley 
uh, facing Shota Umino, who's actually the son of referee Red Shoes, who you may or may not know just because you've only at this point watched one show. But Red Shoes is just a legendary referee a la Earl Hebner, Charles Robinson, you know, just been in New Japan for forever, named such because he wears these bright red shoes. These things usually open up with is they have young lions, which are like their their rookies or whatever, who haven't been given a gimmick yet or anything. You probably notice that Shota comes out in just all black trunks, doesn't have like a uh, individualized entrance theme or anything like that. And they're they're usually basically squash matches against a a uh, established veteran, usually like a Yuji Nagata or someone will come out and just uh, annihilate them. And that's their way of getting some reps on a card and also, you know, just getting their asses beat and uh, helping them be tougher. So kind of knew going into this what this was going to be between Moxley and, and Shota. But uh, Shota, as much as this was somewhat of a squash match because of the fact that, you know, he did get dominated, man, he he comes out blazing with that over-the-top rope somersault. And I thought that uh, he's looked pretty... I, I felt like Moxley and himself both made him look really good for this being a match where he's just going to get decimated. I thought this was a great opening match. You know, it was nice and short and sweet, and it did the job. You know, made both of them look good. But of course, you know, Moxley's the biggest star. And then the unpredictable nature of Moxley of, oh, is he going to attack him more after the match? No, he's going to bring him in the back. Loved it. It's perfect. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed that kind of being a, an extra facet to his character where it's like, well, he's not a full-blown... So, so the thing about people in New Japan, to me, and this is just me being correct, uh, everybody is more or less a heel because these guys are people who have chosen for their profession to be to beat up other men. So they're all kind of jerks in one way or the other. There's very few like pure baby faces, maybe a liger, uh, but even their big... Uh, Ace Tanahashi has moments where he's a, a huge D-bag. So the fact that Moxley, you know, has this, like you said, unpredictable nature where he's kind of putting over how crazy he is and everything um, does kind of a, a face thing, not kind of a face thing, a face thing where he picks the guy up, carries him to the back, I thought was a really cool turn of events and it made me really appreciate it. So uh, kind of also building off of the Super Juniors that you watched, the next match was uh, Kojima versus... Again, Shingo Takagi. And the story behind this is that Takagi, uh, even though he did lose the Best of the Super Juniors tournament overall, beat everybody else in the division. You know, he just kind of steamrolled through him. And he's a big guy, so he wants to be a heavyweight now. And he wants to be in uh, the G1, which Moxley also, you know, uh, says after the match with Shota that he wants in the G1. So the story behind this is this is almost like his his trial by fire. Like, oh, you if you want to be a heavyweight, then we're going to give you this legendary heavyweight guy that we have and we'll see how well you do when you're not fighting guys that are 80 pounds lighter than you are and uh, i thought that was a really cool story because he instantly goes from being the dominant force to he's kind of borderline the underdog in this match even though he's still a big guy he's this technically junior heavyweight facing this uh this legendary heavyweight for a chance to prove himself that he belongs in division and you see in that that he, he struggles a lot in this match. Uh, he ultimately comes out on top, but he, uh, he definitely, you see him kind of, uh, my favorite moment of the whole match is when, so a big thing of Takagi is that he, he hits these little super junior heavyweights uh, with a lariat that just sends them, you know, doing 360s in the air. And so he and uh, Kojima run into each other and he falls down and Kojima stands tall with just his arm in the air showing like, hey man, I got the tricep meat around here, so uh, I thought that was cool. But what did you think about this? 
I love that. Like, I guess I'm going to wind up saying this a lot. I don't know. At this point, I know very, very, very little going into Dominion about some of these characters. But you don't need to know. And they're not even doing promos. They're not doing these long packages. You know, especially this show is going match to match to match to match with maybe sometimes a, a tiny package. There's no wasted time or what I think is wasted time with extensive packages, video packages, and promos. But you know the story. And if you don't know the story, the announcers are doing the job of telling you the story while the wrestlers are in the ring telling that story also. So I know Shingo's entire story and the fact that he wins this match and then afterwards says, well, now I want to be in the G1. It makes me be like, man, I cannot wait to see the G1. I have to see the G1. I've never cared about the G1 before in my entire life. And now I'm what, a quarter of the way through, and I cannot wait to see the G1. And I know the story behind the two people that I already know are in the G1. It's just excellent, excellent wrestling storytelling. Yeah, Rocks. and the thing about the, the G1, too, and I'm going to explain it to you, but also explain it to our listeners, and I, I use the term explain very loosely. Just kind of talk about it. I know a lot of people know what New Japan is and maybe haven't seen it, you being one of them. And I know a lot of people who say that they watch New Japan kind of only see the white guys that they like and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that they just are drawn to the people they're already familiar with um i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but there is something wrong with it so i'm gonna kind of give you the idea of what the g1 is and why you should be excited about it both you and anybody listening and i say this coming from someone who really really got into new japan because of the g1 and what the g1 is it's a month-long tournament round robin where all the competitors face each other all multiple times whether it's in tag matches in the uh, before the tournament matches or in the tournament itself they win points for victories and draws no points for losses and whoever has uh, the most points in between two blocks of competitors faces each other for uh, a shot at who gets to face the world champion at wrestle kingdom in january so the cool thing about this is you get to see every wrestler multiple times you get to learn about their characters like you said in the ring, which is all you really need with these guys because they make sure their characters and stories get over in the ring. Uh, you get to see uh, different storylines develop, whether they win the tournament or not. There's different inter, uh, inter-tournament stories that end up happening. It's almost like a, an extended version of what the Royal Rumble used to be, how it kind of starts the road to WrestleMania. This starts the road to Wrestle Kingdom, and things that happen in the Royal Rumble often set up stories that have... Uh, develop into matches for wrestlemania not just whoever wins so uh it's a, like i said it's it's a grueling thing you get to see the exhaustion that uh, somebody like you know a john moxley is probably going to have on day 28 of the tournament versus day one and that's natural because you're wrestling every night so it's a grueling tournament both in kayfabe and in reality and uh it's just absolutely i can't recommend it enough if you want to get into new japan pro wrestling this is the way to do it take the month uh, you can look at the matchups and, and see what you want to see, but each night has, like I said, a couple intro matches that are mixed tags between people that are going to fight each other the next night. It alternates blocks, and uh, I'm sorry if I'm rambling about this, but the, the G1 is definitely the the way to get into New Japan. And if you don't like the G1 when you're done, you ain't going to like New Japan. <laughs> you're you're going to have seen everybody that's in it and every uh, possible variation of a storyline and it, you'll know if it's for you or not but i think that anybody that watches it is, is going to be captivated by the action in it and that's uh that's just a little rundown of it sorry for the long-winded explanation but 
it's why it matters that these guys are going to be in it. It's why it matters that Moxley's going to be in it because that's a huge thing for a guy to go. From, I mean, I know in WWE they wrestle very often, but to wrestle for four weeks straight in a row, I mean, that's that's going to be exhausting. And these aren't like five-minute little matches like he just had with uh, Shota. These are going to be long, devastating, physically draining matches. So him being in it, Takagi being in it. All right, so we had a couple uh, tag matches here. The, uh, the six-man between... Um, Taguchi Japan and Bullet Club, and then also uh, Liger and Hoshi, or I'm sorry, Liger and Yoshihashi versus members of Suzuki Gun, Minoru Suzuki, and Zack Saber Jr. This is a cool uh, little tag match. I, I definitely like it better when it's a uh, two-on-two, more to kind of focus on um, the story here. Liger and Suzuki having a little bit of a rivalry on uh, on Liger's way out, and I'm sure you're familiar with Liger. You know he was also in WCW and also did that spot in NXT a couple years ago. I really loved in this match Yoshihashi getting the crap beaten out of him and Liger coming in and also kicking him in the back of the shoulder to be like, get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Liger from from the 90s. You know, when Liger was in WCW in his first run, his matches with Brian Pillman were crazy and for the time, just the most high-flying matches you could see in America from my point of view, at least his look obviously is like iconic. Um, so seeing him back then, obviously, you know, the first match on nitro was also with Pillman and him, his spot in NXT was a super cool nostalgia thing. So seeing him in new Japan was really cool. And, you know, I'm a fan of Zack Sabre jr. I think Zack Sabre jr. Is really cool and really, really interesting in modern wrestling. I love how his look kind of works into his gimmick of how he's, you know, that technical reversal mat style. Um, his wiry frame works into all of his offense, I think is is really cool. And it does not hurt that he was a This Is Hell fan that gave me a suplex shirt the first time I met him. That actually is my favorite thing about him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think all four of these guys are... I love Minoru Suzuki. I'm definitely not alone in that. I think he is uh, is one of the more more interesting still to watch uh, senior guys. Because he's, you know, about the same age as Liger. And he's just still killing it at the highest level. Um, so I think that's awesome. And that was a fun, just little tag match to, to set us up for the title matches that would take place for the rest of the show. Uh, before the... Osprey versus Dragon Lee match happens. Uh, Shibata comes out and just kind of points to the entranceway for a long time. And I thought he was just introducing Dragon Lee, maybe, because uh, Dragon Lee, big fan of Shibata. Definitely, uh, I, I want to say maybe even trained by him, but certainly um, Shibata's a mentor to him. And after about what felt like seven minutes of him pointing at this entrance ramp, Kenta walks out, which is awesome. Uh, Hideo Itame uh, and NXT and 205 Live. A uh, big deal for a couple reasons. One, Kenta, despite being a Japanese superstar and legend, uh, never in New Japan, was always in All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. So this is actually a, a huge deal on a number of levels. And two, I mean, the guy just rocks and rolls and struts and strolls. So there's no reason that I wouldn't be psyched to see him. And him being in the G1 is uh, sick as hell as well. Him coming out, he just obviously, he presents himself like a star. We talked about that a lot last episode. But I think it's really important when somebody presents themselves like a star, a lot of times they get treated as such. So him coming out, like you said, first time in New Japan, coming from WWE where he did essentially nothing 
in NXT and 205 Live for the most part. So I believe, you know, his WWE run was pretty disappointing to everybody, which may or may not be his fault. You know, a lot of times the position you're put in just doesn't work for you. So I think him coming to New Japan and being treated like a gigantic star, the crowd going crazy, and announcing that he's going to be in the G1 was another thing that made me excited to just, oh, now I need to see the G1. I need to see Kenta as he's supposed to be, not how he came across as Hideo Itami. And that's just my point of view. I was led to believe when he was brought in as Hideo Itami, he was going to be this major star, and it never quite worked out. So to see a new beginning for him, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, definitely psyched to see what he gets to do. And, I mean, uh, it's also interesting just because he was plagued with so many injuries, the G1 is not the place to uh, to nurse them. So, yeah, like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's four weeks of a tournament, so it'll be interesting how that uh, plays into it. But either way, I mean, the guy's awesome. Uh, he's going to be all fresh matchups. I'm pretty sure almost everybody that'll be in the tournament, although the full roster hasn't been announced yet, will be people that we haven't seen him wrestle before or definitely haven't seen him wrestle in a long time so that should be sick uh, but osprey versus dragon lee osprey winning the title shot after winning best of the super juniors for the super junior uh, heavyweight championship uh i hate to call this a spot fest but i don't mind that it, it was one because i felt like that had a unique position on the card in the sense that all these other matches weren't the same style of match so when you have a uh a high-flying match like this with lots of crazy spots and stuff like that, it feels less contrived and more fresh because it's not in between a bunch of other matches that are like that, if that makes any sense at all. And I think it does. Yeah, I agree with you totally. And then especially for me wanting to see Osprey again after winning the Super Juniors and seeing him you know, win this title, I thought was, was awesome. Uh, same thing, I didn't know anything about Dragon Lee before this match. And then watching him, I understand his character. I understand the stakes. And I was a big fan of both of these guys by th- throughout the entire match. But then, obviously, the finish the finish was so great. And after the finish, it's another one of those things. Like you said, it was a spot fest. But that doesn't mean it didn't tell the story that it was supposed to tell. You know, I, you understand the stakes and everything. At the end, you understand both characters, and I, I and the placement of the match in the card was was perfect. You know, um, both these guys are, are really cool. Like I I feel like I'm a fan of both these guys now, even though it was only my second Osprey match I've ever seen, first Dragon Lee match I've ever seen. Dragon Lee looks like fucking ten trillion dollars. His body and his mask and the way he presents himself himself and the way he does all of his maneuvers and the way he well sells or doesn't sell uh he's he's like a video game character you know like he, he's like the video game character if i'm playing a wrestling game that i want to play as every single time he's awesome yeah and you, you make a good point about uh his his physique because in new japan there's not a whole lot of there's definitely guys that look like they're they're strong and and i don't want to say not muscular but he not as conditioned as him him and like uh bone soldier ishimori and then abushi who we'll talk about later who just looks yeah. insane right now um that that really makes you stand out i feel like in new japan to have just a chiseled physique like that and uh and it's also impressive that he's so agile with all that muscle density 
But uh, yeah, so Osprey wins. Um, the cool thing about, not the cool thing, a thing about it, is that he wins the same way that he beats Sakagi, which is doing all three of his regular finishers in a row, which I think is kind of a almost a sign of respect that he needed all three in a row to be able to put those guys away. And I think that'll be a unique story heading into the G1 when he's facing these heavyweights is, you know, is that going to be enough to put those guys away? You know, he's facing these bigger opponents uh, or when he tries to defeat people with just one of them. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that, if that works. I just feel like they'll, they, they rarely do things in new Japan that don't matter later on even if it's way later on. And I, I thought that that was interesting that both of those matches that we saw uh, to beat the guys, he had to do three moves in a row to finally put them away, which, uh, I mean, it did the job, so I'm not putting it down. I just wonder how that plays into the future. <clears throat> but the future of this show was the Gorillas of Destiny, G.O.D. versus uh, Los Ingobernables, Ingobernables uh, Evil and Sonata, uh, two members of the L.I.J., uh, stable and the thing about god that i want to talk about first and foremost is i know we've talked about a lot uh, almost a running theme of this show is going from not liking something to liking it and almost that's almost the premise of the show especially covering AEW. like we want to like all of it uh tama tonga i first saw i don't want to say i first saw i first started really paying attention to two years ago in the g1 and i could not have liked this guy less i thought that the bad boy was a corny nickname i thought that uh his face paint was silly, his dancing was goofy, and I just was laughing when he came out this year because two years later when the G1's about to start, and I mean, he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. I think the guy <laughs> is just too sick. I, and he's not even really much different than he was two years ago. Just my perspective and understanding of him changed. So uh, they came out. I love all of the Los Ingobernables. So this was just a match between four dudes who I think are sick, uh, Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa, uh, FKA Camacho and NXT versus evil and sonata uh what do you think about these guys i really like that tamatanga is haku's son yeah a lot of times I, haku even comes out with them i wish haku would come out with me you ever hear that story of um haku asking tony shivani how to discipline his kids and tony shivani's like hey man you're like fucking haku you've done this that and the other thing you're like the baddest man in the world like take care of your kids the way you know just let them know that you're haku He's like, oh, I don't know. I can't control my kids. So anyway, that's like a funny story that Shivani tells in his podcast. So it's funny now watching Tamatanga as a wrestler, knowing that Haku didn't know how to discipline him. Uh, one thing that I do got to also point out that I really love about G.O.D. is they're also the Ring of Honor heavyweight tag team champions. And they just constantly talk about how Ring of Honor sucks and how them being the tag team champions of that company doesn't mean anything. And I, that's probably bad business, but it is very funny to me uh, that they're just like, yeah, we're the champions, but we kind of wish we weren't. Hey, if there's ever a bad business decision to be made, I'm probably going to like it and do it. <laughs> All right, and speaking of ref bumps, it looks like we got a run in here. Mr. Reese Scruggs, guitar player for the rock and roll band Havoc. How you doing, Reese? Gentlemen, us being together today, I just want to say it's a great day for Texas. <laughs> oh, motherfucker. Reese, uh, we're going to have you talk a bit about uh, something important to you, but the first thing I want to know, and, and the listeners want to know too, I can, I can hear them clamoring for it already. What is your favorite thing about wrestling? Um... It's a God. That's you know. It's a it's a multi answer for just one question. Um, 
be getting getting lost in a story when people are able to paint a picture and uh you know you you get to see the art form uh in a physical physical form you you get to see a story unfold in front of your eyes i like stories you know um also like uh the illusion or the uh whatever you want to call it of athletic competition i do like athletic competition and when people can tell a story um, with athletic competition, um, and you get lost in it. You know that's that's what's so killer about professional wrestling is that you could go into it knowing that everything's predetermined and all that other stuff. But when you get sucked in, um, and they're you know the performers are able to tell a story through their match and through the physicality and stuff, uh, it's it's the sickest of all time. So I feel like it's a thing that if you're in the wrestling bubble people always talk about telling a story and all that. And they're, you know, obviously almost every form of entertainment is about telling a story. Yes. And a lot of times in wrestling, they're telling the same stories that they might tell on, you know, a drama or a comedy or whatever. But I think the reason why we're in this bubble, you know, if we are in the bubble as opposed to just, or even if a casual fan is in the bubble sometimes is there's something special about the telling of a story through the means of, wrestling and in that specific art form which is just so interesting and almost uh, how do i articulate it it's so interesting and so individualized i feel like almost sometimes when i'm watching a movie or a television show i think about how i would translate that into a wrestling story and i've actually done it when i was wrestling with like star wars figures Mm-hmm. And turning Return of the Jedi, the entire movie, into like a three-month wrestling arc. So much so as to, you know, once, instead of being in Carbonite, Han comes back from an injury. And even though before he was injured, him and Lando were kind of like, oh, what the fuck? Lando was the cause of his injury. Now they're having a tag match. Right. So it's it's a it's a very individualized and like for us wrestling fans, a very special way of telling a story. Well, and, and being that, you know, we're musicians and we all appreciate music and all that other stuff, uh, it's, it's an art form. And so I think that what gives us a different dynamic as well is that we take our art and try to, you know, get, you know, get our art and our self-expression out a certain way um, that's different from professional wrestling. I think, uh, I think a lot of what I love about it now as a 31 year old, uh, uh, supposedly an adult, um, is, uh, uh, um, and especially doing what we do, touring, playing music, stuff like that, is that there are a lot of parallels between the, the inside workings of professional wrestling schedules, bookings, money, all this, uh, travel, all this sort of stuff, uh, is very parallel to, being in a shitty uh, heavy metal band uh, touring the world and all that other stuff. Um, and I, I can appreciate that too. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the biggest appreciation of it uh, right now. And for my fandom um, and all that other stuff is being like, well, you know, sometimes I'll come off of a, of a tour and I'll be like, wow, you know, that was, that was a pretty long stretch. And then I'm like, well, you know, if I'm if I'm taking everything at face value, Bret Hart said he was on the road for like 300 days in a row. So um, I'm not on the road for 300 days in a row. So I'm pretty grateful for that. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's that sort of dynamic as well. 
Yeah, my favorite thing is the wet hair, but I like your answer too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that leads me into my follow-up question, and the reason why we're here today, aside from making Texas proud, is what is your current least favorite thing about wrestling? One of the things that really, really just chaps my ass is uh, if we're trying to do something fresh, we're trying to do something new, at least. Um, when the hell will there ever be competent, tough refs who have seen it all, done it all, no, nothing gets past them, and they're big, they're big enough not to take stupid bump ref bumps you don't have to worry about this guy going down because someone accidentally ran into him and i know that fits into a lot of storylines and all that other stuff or a lot of you know a, a lot of matches and stuff you have to have that for something to happen and blah 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 but if we're starting if we're talking about something fresh something new that you know AEW could run with or whatever if they're trying to do this whole fresh and new thing um, which they're not but for a UFC ref, um, you know, Big John McCarthy could probably whip everyone's asses that he was in the octagon with. And I feel that same way with, you know, uh, you know, a couple other, you know, mixed martial arts referees. And I think that something like that could be adapted into professional wrestling. Having that still go on is just, it's old to me. Keith Peterson, who was in a Long Island hardcore band, GFY, he is a smaller in height guy, and he's a tough son of a bitch. I've seen him do some crazy shit at shows, and he's not a UFC fighter, but he is a tough, hard-ass referee, and he's legit. And if Sami Zayn hits him with an elbow by accident, he's not going to lay on the ground for 15 minutes. Right. You know, He might even sell it for a second and yeah. then... And then get on with it. I agree with you very much that I often talk about how something new has to happen. We've been in kind of a, I don't want to say stale, but a very similar style in ring and promo wise, et cetera, for many, many years now. And even something as little as tougher referees would could really change the game and in a much, a very, very positive way. And that doesn't mean that there won't be ref bumps. But it might have to be something a bit more devastating and something a bit more believable. Having these like little wimps who are not only just wimpy, but also like fucking stupid and blind and have never seen yeah. a wrestling match before. I get it. That worked for a really long time, and it's a great part of the traditional wrestling storytelling thing. But things have to evolve, just like the maneuvers evolve. How often do you see somebody do a regular body slam anymore? Right. Fucking, fucking never. You know, you yeah. got to change things sometimes. I think... I think the referee thing is a really, really interesting and like right in front of our eyes thing that, oh, fuck, how come no one's ever thought about just making the refs a bit more legit? We're, we're starting to talk about SmackDown going to Friday nights with Fox and, and, and Fox caring about the product being a, a bit more edgy, competition-based, uh, because it's going to be predominantly Fox Sports, who are the ones who are going to be covering it or whatever. And it's going to be more sports-based. That in itself would make that seem, I don't know, just a little bit more legit. The one guy you and I, Ryan, had talked about before being pretty awesome was the, uh, I call him hardcore ref in NXT. He's just like waiting around to get gigged. Like, oh my God, where the fuck's the fucking gig at? I want to bleed so bad. Uh, that dude 
that dude rocks hard. All right. Well, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And we appreciate you stopping by to get that stiff shot in, get that run in, in, get that, uh, give me another, give me another insider term, get that idea over. Yeah. Get it over brother. Hey man, it's been a great day for Texas. All right, and again, we want to thank Reese from the band Havoc for coming by and talking to us. You can follow Reese on Instagram at Reese Scruggs, and I'm sure Havoc will be coming to a town near you because they are on tour all the time. And we're back. I just had to go pick up groceries from Peapod, which I don't know where everybody is from if they listen to this. But on Long Island, we have a Stop and Shop, which is our biggest grocery store, and they do a thing called Peapod, which you go on the internet and you fill out what you want to order. It's like virtual grocery shopping, and you can either have them drop it off at your house, which they, you know, you have to pay a delivery fee for, or you can go pick it up. So yesterday we decided let's order our groceries online, and you know, at some point during the day I'll pick it up today. So not only did they not have any of the fucking energizing power drinks that I wanted and didn't let me know until I went to pick it up, but we ordered five bananas, which is one banana a day over the next five days, of which – I will consume. So I get home and I have five fucking bundles of six bananas. <laughs> what the fuck? 30? 30 goddamn fucking bananas? What am I going to do with 30 fucking bananas? Win a lot of races in Mario Kart. Now, fucking fuck Stop and Shop. Get my power drinks back. Stop and Shop is the name of the place? Yeah, Stop and Shop. What a joke. <laughs> and they call it a peapot. When you said you had to go get something from Peapod, I thought your phone autocorrected Peapod. You know how some people call their grandparents stupid shit like Meemaw and Peapod and Grams and – you know what I'm talking about? Is that maybe a southern thing? Oh, no. I feel like that's everywhere. People just invent words and like, hey, that's my name. Like, oh, your name is not Tubla. <laughs> All right. Well, we got two more matches on this Dominion card. Uh, the first is – for the Intercontinental Championship between Kota Abushi and the impossibly cool Tetsuya Naito. And Abushi just looking peeled out of his mind in this match. I'm not just peeled. in this match. Peeled. peeled. Like so a banana. Peeled. Like 30 bushels of bananas. He looks peeled. And uh, Abushi. Super light. <laughs> lightweight. Lightweight. Super light. Uh, looks incredible. Um, Naito. Is just the coolest man. I don't know if you got that vibe from. Him. I know again, you don't really know a lot of these uh, these characters um, beforehand. But did you immediately understand that that dude is cool as hell? Yeah, I know Naito from the what do you what do you call his his eye gimmick? The non Asian eye gimmick. Okay. Yeah. Man, I love that. That's funny as hell. Yeah, just making fun of whites by peeling his eyeball open. That's cool as hell. Yeah, so I know about that. And then I know Ibushi from all his hoopla and hype, and then also his appearance in the Cruiserweight Classic. But, man, he looks even better than he did in the Cruiserweight Classic. He looks like a fucking Greek-Asian god. Oh, yeah, he looks better than he did a couple months ago uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. I mean, he's just been hitting it hard. Yeah, and, he uh, he definitely fucking cuts and struts. He he is the GMO cow that I was talking about earlier. He's got the the juice, and I I mean I'm not saying that he's doing roids. I I don't care if he is or not. Whatever he's got to do to look like that, I'm ready to do it also. So, um, you know, I'll give you the the yen and you give me the yang. But that match was dangerous as hell. Easily the scariest 
moment of the whole show is when my man Naito gives him a suplex onto what we know for certain is the hardest part of the ring on the apron. Um, just the back of his friggin' neck. Um, I don't know if Abushi could have won the 96 Olympics after that move, but it looked incredible. <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, talk about some crazy fucking bumps and stiff shots and just hard, solid fucking ass-kicking work. This match was... Uh, Kind of fucking insane, some of the shit that they went through. To be honest, I was loving everything about this match, but as it went on with all the false finishes, it turned into one of those things I don't like, where it's devastating move after devastating move and a false finish over and over again to the point where it was like, okay, what the fuck is going on? Is this match... Not that I want the match to end, but felt like, oh, that's the eighth finisher of this match. And, you know, they're kicking out of the finisher. And then immediately, whoever just took a finisher is now doing their own finisher. So towards the end of the match, or maybe like the, the last 30% or 20% of the match, it wound up being a no-sell fest. Even though every move was cool and devastating, but when it, they start to... Well, I don't even know if I want to say not sell it, but kicking at it... Well, I guess I am saying the kicking out of the finish and then not selling it and then returning with another devastating move that usually loses me but don't get me wrong i still thought this match was was intriguing and visually you know a bit of a, a cool fuck fest yeah I, I really like this match i didn't get that same vibe that you did but i understand where you're coming from i actually thought that's what you were going to feel about the uh that's the super juniors final between takagi and osprey because they did a lot of that which felt like for like 15 minutes or so but i guess maybe that's why it felt less uh less annoying because it was more desperation but uh, i actually thought that this was uh, a really dominant showing by naito i mean he, you know he still took some crazy moves and things like that but uh i mean just really kind of i felt like it was his match to to win from the beginning and uh just him him posing at the end with his foot on <laughs> my man's head was crazy to me i thought that was just too sick um and just really a a, a show of no respect and also dominance, and that's kind of uh, what he needs to be right now going into the G1, which I'm sure he'll be in, and going into uh, into Wrestle Kingdom, hopefully. So I really love this match a lot. I would say it was the uh, the best match of the whole show. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was my favorite match. The thing is, like I was saying, is when they kind of lost me with all the false finishes after the actual finish, then I was like, okay, I really did enjoy that match, and I liked it. So... It's not like I didn't like the match. Well, like I just said, I did really enjoy the match. It kind of lost me or was about to lose me and then drug me back in. So I did like it. I liked the Osprey Dragon match a bit more. But um, but this was a, a really cool match. And it was different than the prior match. Um, and it, it's another one of those matches where, you know, I knew a little bit about each one of these guys prior, but not a ton. But by the end of the match, I knew, I felt like I knew everything I needed to know about him. And same thing, I'm looking forward to see what both of these guys do next, as well as, again, that Intercontinental Championship title is beautiful. Oh, man, yeah, that, that belt rules. All their belts are awesome. I, like I said, the U.S. title is my favorite, but the Intercontinental, I mean, that white strap, you can't, you can't beat that. Yeah. Well, that is going to lead us to the Rain Pain main event, my man. We got the pain maker, Chris Jericho, versus 
the Rainmaker Okada. A couple things I want to say about this match before we talk in details of it, and then I have a couple questions for you as well. Well, first of all, how hilarious is it that New Japan lost the rights to use the song Judas by Fozzie, uh, who was fronted by Chris Jericho, so Jericho did not get to come out to his own band song? Uh, the answer is very funny. Secondly, Jericho, definitely, without question, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. And after this match, man, I just don't ever need to see him wrestle anymore. I, I'm sure I'll change my mind the next time he has a match, and I think it's sick. But that was my first feeling. When this match was over, I was like, we got we to gotta end this. We got to stop it. It's not going to stop, so it doesn't matter what I want. But I just came out of this match not, not wanting to see Jericho do anything anymore. Uh, I think Okada is one of the best wrestlers in the world, if not the best wrestler in the world. Um, which I know I just said Jericho is one of the best. But I'm talking about in-ring as far as like just technical prowess. Okada is definitely up there. And I don't know if you feel that way after seeing this. I will find out when I stop talking and give you a chance to say something. But um, I thought this match was so lackluster for being the main event, for having all the hype behind it for, for what feels like months. And uh, the finish was a little hokey. We never saw the Rainmaker hit the Rainmaker, yet he still won, which doesn't necessarily have to be how it ends. You know, uh, it ending unexpectedly, I guess, gives you uh, something that you can be happy about in, in one sense. But uh, I just, especially after that Abushi Naito match, I walked away from this just being kind of kind of let down and bummed out. But what did you think? I had two different thoughts with this match. While I was watching it, I was thinking the same thing that you said. I felt a little lackluster, you know, didn't kind of live up to what I wanted it to be or kind of what I thought it was going to be. But then I thought from a different point of view, like it's kind of, well, not kind of, it's a modern Jericho match. You know, he's not going to go out and have a match like the other guys have. And, you know, I've never seen Akata before, so I didn't really know what to expect from him. Um, so I, I, I went into this not really knowing what to expect overall, aside from the fact that I know what Jericho's modern matches are like. I figured at this point, no matter who was in the match, they had to slow it down a little in the past two matches. Otherwise, you couldn't really top the intensity of the last two matches. So it kind of had to be a bit more of a, I don't want to say ground and pound, but more of a down and dirty psychological match, which I thought this had its moments of seeming like it was going there and then kind of slowed down a little bit. And then the finish was unexpected to me. I was like, oh shit, that's it. Even the finish seemed a little slow, which isn't necessarily bad. I, I thought the match was fine, but it, you know, it didn't, it didn't get me like some of the other ones. I don't know if I would go as far as to say, I don't feel like I ever need to see Jericho wrestle ever again, but for all intents and purposes, if this was the last match that he had, if not ever, but like just for a while, I would totally be fine with it. Um, I kind of think Jericho's post-match stuff was a bit more memorable than the entirety of the match. You know, I, I, I don't know. I guess it was what it was as far as a, a Jericho match. I mean, it's Jericho in his 50s, and he's great psychologically, but I don't really know if he's doing anything extremely interesting in the ring that's not psychological anymore. The one thing that I did take notice of that kind of also put a damper on it for me was... And we spoke about this in the first episode, the whole Judas Effect finisher and him saying this is going to be exclusive to AEW. And the announcers kept harping on him doing that move. And then he went for it. He didn't hit it, but he went for it. And I was kind of like, eh, who gives a fuck? Like, it's, it's a fucking spinning back elbow. Let him do it. But I was also, I was really into the whole gimmick of that 
being a movie only uses in AEW. Especially, I love the way they pulled it off in the finisher for the uh, Omega match. So, I thought the concept of it was cool. He's like, no, that when I finish matches in AEW, you're gonna know how it's done. You know? But, yeah. It might be a stupid thing to harp on, but it's our fucking podcast, so there it is. <laughs> well, I guess my ultimate questions to you would be, my, what my questions were for you before we uh, watched AEW was, what was your favorite thing about Dominion, and what was your least favorite thing about Dominion? My favorite thing was the fact that I only knew about a lot of these guys and never seen a lot of these guys before this week, and without extensive video packages and essentially no promos whatsoever by the end of each guy's match i feel like i understand the character and certain characters i'm like i feel like i'm invested in already i can't wait to see what happens with osprey um i'm really excited to see what kenta does you know a lot of these guys i'm i feel like all right well now i have all the ammunition i need to jump in and become a guy who watches new japan i know where i i know where everything is I know the ground level of everything so I could watch and be invested. That's really cool to me. I thought the action on the show or shows was a lot about what I love about wrestling. Tells a story in the ring while doing crazy shit and guys beating each other up. I love that in Japan, which is the thing I, I know about from just watching wrestling, you know, especially all the New Japan WCW stuff crossover that they had throughout the 90s. And a bit of the WWF, Japan, the different promotions they worked with in the 90s. Japan treats wrestling a bit more like a legit sport. Obviously, everybody knows wrestling is wrestling. But it doesn't hurt to not treat it like a cartoon. And I think sometimes I just forget that not all wrestling has to be. Not even that modern WWE is super cartoony. But, it, you know, it's WWE. They have a certain camp and a certain cartoon ele element that goes into it, even in its most serious things. And this is different. And to me, New Japan is more of the alternative to WWE than AEW seems like it is with only one show under their belt so far. That's hopefully is going to change or may or may not change. But as of right now, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to start watching New Japan. Hopefully I make <coughs> enough time, you know, carve out a more time to watch new Japan and follow the stories. Yeah, I definitely hope you do. And I hope uh, our listeners do as well. Cause I would love to make that a recurring uh, thing that we talk about here in July about the, the G one. Uh, like I said, I couldn't uh, stop talking about earlier. I love the G one. I'm actually going to be at night one in Dallas on July 6th. So if any of you are going to be there, let me know so I can know who to avoid. But that, uh, that brings us to the end of dominion. Um, so we went over the Super Showdown, went over the AEW videos, went over a little bit of the best Super Juniors, and uh, went over Dominion. The next uh, event for WWE is going to be Stomping Grounds, but uh, I'm thinking next week we're going to do a little week in review for WWE. We'll talk about Raw, SmackDown, and depending on when we get to record, possibly even the NXT Weekly Show, but definitely Raw and SmackDown, see where they're headed towards Stomping Grounds after leaving uh the super showdown hopefully new stories get to start and develop um probably all involving shane mcmahon all right well we definitely appreciate all your questions keep sending them in on twitter at stiff shots pod or instagram at stiff shots pod as well i think we got a facebook page up and running now stiff shots podcast so you can just blast us any uh format you so desire but we appreciate you listening and we will talk to you next week good 
Bye. Goodbye. Fuck stop and shop. Fuck stop and shop. And the Peapod. Fuck Amazon. Rockstar rules. Ha ha ha.